Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Conferred Culture, brought to you by Timotheries, the podcast where we talk about the topics that many of us are passionate about. I'm your host, Chris Murphy, and this week I'm joined by... Tim Keefler, the one, the only. <laughs> That's right. And um, this week we were talking about, does being critical enhance or ruin art for you? And I know that Tim is is itching to talk about like some of the more finer details of, of some of the, the, the art critic uh, piece of it. Why I think I maybe have a little bit more some general pop culture references or maybe YouTube critic uh, direction to add to it. So, yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to tell you this. I was, I was itching (laughs) to not make a joke at the beginning. of. (laughs) (laughs) I bet. I bet. I I know I have a habit of wanting to just say yes or no. And like, that's, there's only so many times that joke lands. So that's right. Like in, in the former podcast where we solve the world's problems in less than five minutes. Yeah. So being critical in art, is it good or bad? That is a, that's a tough one, my friend. I don't know. I think, I don't know. I think we could probably start by defining the role of the art critic. Okay. I think that's kind of where I want to start if that's fair. fair. I think um, that's, yeah, I think it's probably as good a place to any, as any. Okay. So um, I think mainly, you know, obviously from having, years of art history and uh, critical analysis pounded it into my head for my post-secondary education. Uh, I think that there's definitely a philosophy around art criticism and there's definitely um, lots of academic articles that have been written and many people have participated in a culture surrounding it. So there's, there's, there's a, there's a intrinsic definition, maybe, maybe not for everyone, but for people who are interested in that, there's an intrinsic definition there that um, the role of the art critic is to um, kind of lay out the systems of art. And uh, it's their responsibility to determine what fits into a pantheon of culture and ideas and representations of ideas. And so it, what it comes down to is they're, they're effectively kind of gatekeeping, right? Like they're making sure that art is either fits within a context or fits within another context, or it does not get to be defined as art by uh, the techniques and ideological viewpoints that are being uh, discussed, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's challenging because, I mean, <laughs> I haven't been in, in the art world as they say for quite a while now i've kind (laughs) of strayed away from that having worked in advertising the better part of 12 years and been super interested in pop culture myself and how to make videos and write about art and pop culture stuff like that so i've actually had a a lot of distance from it so Mm -hmm. i think my view has shifted on that over time but um that's the 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 textbook definition of it right art critic is the gatekeeper of art paradigms if that makes sense yeah no it does and i mean and i think uh being the gatekeeper it's you know i often i i think like to sort of bring it like a little bit outside the text box text box uh textbook definition I i should say i always like look at it as you know, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, that kind of like, uh, cliche mm-hmm. where it's like, it's awesome that I can go into, um, you know, an art film or go to look at a painting or whatever and not just immediately dismiss it. Um, but it's also, uh, and, and I can find little things that maybe other people doesn't notice is like, you know, when something has, a it's like even just watching, like I'm rewatching the Americans right now. I'm going to do a podcast on that later. Spoiler. But uh, just the way that sometimes the camera crawls across the screen and be like, hey, that's a really nice shot or that's framed really well. Or look at that actor conveying emotions without saying anything. You know, I notice stuff like that. Maybe that many that some people I know like wouldn't notice. But at the same time, I can't enjoy. I can't 
do what a lot of people describe as turning your brain off at like a popcorn film or mm-hmm. watching real I can't watch reality TV at all. It's just I I just I can't enjoy it. And so like it's that double-edged uh sword kind of mentality, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's challenging to to take yourself out of your paradigms, like I said, and what is important to you based on not only your taste, but on what, um, you know, what is technically considered like good and bad. So we're willing to forgive a lot of bad when there is uh, something there that pulls on our emotional heartstrings. I think I've talked with exactly. you about this before, but um, I think so. You know, a lot of the reasons why I think people buy stuff is based on emotions. Right. And I, that's not, yeah. it's not my idea. It's something that I heard. I think I heard from Tony Robbins, but um, I think it's, I think that's like super true because you will invariably be interested in stuff because it means something to you. And if you refine your taste, then things that continue to mean stuff to you based on what you've refined your taste to be, that's like, you'll look for more and more of the same kind of stuff. So it's okay Mm -hmm. to dismiss stuff if it doesn't suit your needs. Like we can't, and I've said that before too, you can't look at everything. You can't enjoy everything. You're only on this ball of dirt for so long. So Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think though, like uh, the challenge kind of comes in. Well, it's there. There's a number. There's a number of challenges. <clears throat> there's a number of challenges around it, right? Like you can get stuck in your own uh, little boxes, you just your own paradigm, as you said. But also, um, you are, could be like very, I, I know I have been guilty of this in the past. Very quickly to dismiss something that. Um, doesn't appeal to you emotionally or, you know, um, something that you know, isn't good right away. <laughs> like yeah. doesn't meet kind of your standard kind of right away. Right. And it's one of those things that I've noticed, uh, watching in the past, of course, you know, during the whole social distancing thing, watching more and more, uh, critics on YouTube and just seeing how a lot of critics, like, it seems like they don't like anything like at all. <laughs> And it's just, I, you know, I often, I sometimes wonder if I'm, I can kind of fall into that category too, but you know, there's a lot of it's because negativity gets far more response and views than, than, than a positive review. So, um, there's one, there's a YouTube, there's a, uh, one on YouTube, uh, Jenny Nicholson, and she does reviews of stuff recently she ranked all the all of the land before time movies which um i guess she was sick and watched them all but oh, really? um yeah which was which is kind of neat so she did have some positive things to say but most of her stuff is pretty negative and not negative as in like bat needlessly bashing but like negative as in like i'm gonna critically um rip this apart and yeah and not even like and again like not in a mute like all her points are valid it's just like i think and i think she does really really good work and i recommend her to anybody but um it's one of those things it's like do you do you actually like anything <laughs> and and it's and and i'm sure she does i'm sure and in fact i know she likes a lot of star wars stuff just nothing really there's none of the recent ones but she's not wrong like those movies have their problems but it's just like being a critic is like, it's, and I'm not saying like I'm really one, but I just kind of have that mindset and it's just like, can you actually like, it's, it's hard, I think for people to walk that line and also like just enjoy stuff that's, you know, it might be dumb, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. It's, it's, oh, so I, th- I, I think example. it can't, so I, I I think it's I think it can maybe ruin things sometimes for people mm-hmm. like being in that mindset. So go ahead. What about you? I'm, I'm gonna have to use an example, and I I, I can't believe that I'm doing this because I always it's like a crutch. Um, <laughs> so in the time that we watched, uh, I we we not watched uh, we talked, and I started watching Star Wars: The Clone Wars. I obviously mm-hmm. finished going through that, and You've I seen think it all. A, yeah, I've seen all seven seasons now. 
Nice. And I think it's really good. And then I watched, um, continuing that train of thought, I, I watched Star Wars Rebels. And um, mu- much like you, I, I, I watched some videos, some critical videos, because I, I always enjoy hearing critical views on things. Um, and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of stuff out there about Star Wars Rebels, and I don't know if it's because it like predated that point before people really got into reviews, mm. or if because it came out in what like 2014, and uh, that's maybe part the, of it. I don't know if, or maybe it's just not important or what, but um, well, there's, so there's, there was a lot of backlash because of how everything happened. Like, so Clone Wars got. After Disney bought Star Wars, Clone Wars got canceled and mm-hmm. um, they started doing. Yeah, it was right around that time. And then they started doing Rebels. So mm-hmm. they kind of canceled that one abruptly without finishing it and then did Rebels. And there was actually a lot of fan backlash over it. So that's mm-hmm. that's like kind of part of it, I think. And I don't know why, yeah. why more people haven't gone back and revisited it because it's really good. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say is I enjoyed it and I, I watched it all. And I got through it and I was like, oh man, there's probably going to be lots of people who have lots to say about this show because there's a lot of really neat ideas that tie in, um, again, tie in more so the Star Wars universe, right? Like it it takes in a lot of the stuff that, you know, we may not like or we may say like, oh, this is like not can- canonically. Is that the right word? Canonically? And not, and I that's think so. Not- it's not canon Star Wars. It's like, oh, you're experimenting with ideas and you're saying things like it's a laser sword and things like that. But they say that in um, yeah, I know in Rebels. So I don't think they. I don't think Last Jedi did that first. I think it was actually Star Wars Rebels that did it first. But I, yeah, because that would have came up before that. Um, but but that's not my uh, that's not my point here with the example. My point is, um. I was looking for this. I was looking for critical analysis of the show, and I've I've seen videos and articles that talk about the Darth Maul relationship and the mm-hmm. Obi Wan relationship and stuff because that stuff's neat and it and it, it it was something that I was anticipating watching the show, but I I didn't know a ton about it and I didn't spend a lot of time on it. But that but what I found was interesting was like there wasn't a lot of people just talking about the show overall, and the only major critical thing I found was someone basically ripping the show apart and saying that they hated it. So describing a lot of what you said, which was, um, you know, all these characters are, are kind of dumb and there isn't a lot of content here and it's for kids. And I don't agree with that. I think there's like a ton of value in it and it's entertaining. And so what if it's geared at kids as a demographic first, how many times have we heard the whole idea that Star Wars is for kids? Like George Lucas said it himself. So yeah, for sure. It's just super weird to me. Um, <laughs> so I guess I mean, this is one of those times, not that this is the first time this has happened, but where I'm like in supposedly the minority group liking something and thinking that it's good when the critical view says, no, it's not, this is, yeah, this is yeah. not good. Oh yeah. I, I've experienced that too. Um, I, I, to, I mean, in, in terms of rebels, it maybe it might be geared to kids in like the first season and a half, maybe it's kind of dark after that. Like Ezra um, goes super dark after the first season. And I was like, does. Whoa. And yep. I thought maybe they were going to like explore that. And they did a little bit, but not a ton. No, not a ton. Um, and the whole, um, Anakin and, uh, or Darth Vader slash Anakin and, uh, Ahsoka. Yeah. <laughs> Separate aside. Does like the ending of clone wars not make those movies better? Well, yeah, I I already I already like, liked. Them, oh my, but yes, like, I agree. So I hundred percent like agree, the, so. the yeah the, the the final episode of uh, of um of Clone Wars, the whole uh, the sort of bookend of Ahsoka's uh, Clone Wars arc. Just mm-hmm. I I mean, it retroactively makes uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith like way better because they're filling in all the gaps that uh, Lucas rushed through. Yeah. It unfortunately yeah. rushed through. I, I like I said, I've always really liked Revenge of the Sith. So for me, it wasn't like, oh man, now I'm turned on to it. I already liked it, but I I, I see why it makes other people. I never like hated it, more. it, and I oh, and, yeah. I, and I think it actually deepens, like you said, the the cultural appeal of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, like fills in the blanks. Like a lot of people thought that his um, him uh, turning to the dark side was okay. That kind of came out of that. Not that it came out of nowhere, but it was like it just felt like super. Like he does a one eighty in in that film, kind of almost. Yeah. I mean, they they do start with him beheading Dooku, but still, um, <clears throat> it's it's like everything that was before that was super slow, and then they just toss it on fast forward. <laughs> Whereas like Clone Wars fills out a lot of the, it's a slow burn, more of a slow yep. burn. So you get to see his uh, transition from like Padawan into that. Uh, you also can over you, seven sorry, seasons. Yeah, and then uh, and then his 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 relationship with Ahsoka is super complicated, but then it also reinforces the whole, you know, the Jedi kind of were dumbasses. <laughs> well, they and they should have saw it coming and right? didn't. Yeah, they were just full of their own hubris. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it kind of put... So it makes his decision to turn, like, it actually kind of makes sense. Like, yeah. I mean, he shouldn't have gone evil and killed those children, but you could see why he would do it. Well, he was emotionally disconnected. And mm-hmm. they aren't really... They don't really pride themselves on their ability to be vulnerable. Um, so it's kind of interesting because I've been reading a book called Dare to Lead. And the author, okay. her name is Renee Brown, and it's something I was supposed to be reading before uh, COVID nineteen happened. But I decided to take it upon myself to start reading this for my own um, benefit while I'm kind of waiting for mm-hmm. things to go back to normal. But um, they, they they talk about leadership requiring uh, vulnerability, and vulnerability mm-hmm. means going into a situation being brave and not knowing the outcome. I don't feel like the Jedi are ever vulnerable. Nope. <laughs> they always come from the perspective of, you know, this is how it is and this is what we know and this is what we're going to do. Um, and, and we know best. We know best. Yeah. So I can see why Ahsoka branched off. I can see why Anakin stuck around, but then was like, man, I shouldn't have stuck around. Like they're so like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's a, and it's too bad that too bad that people didn't see what Lucas was doing there. Like, Obviously, he yeah, was, it's kind of his own fault, but like, yeah, I mean, like if he could go, if he could have seen that through, um, all the way through, maybe he could have made the last three movies and they we wouldn't have the mess that we have. But. Well, yeah, he was just, I think mean, he was creatively done with it, but he, um, if he had spent less time on his childhood, like him being a child and Phantom Menace, and if the second movie was completely different, then yeah, it probably would have been better. Like I mean, so, but hindsight hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, for sure. But, so, so anyway, like you said, we, we've kind of segued here, but <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I didn't want to go down this path too far because I I don't want it to be like every time we talk, I talk about Star Wars because um, it's not that's not like all I care about, but I do no, think it that, it's just a good example to use. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, so um, point being is people should watch that show because it, who cares if it's like perfect? It's entertaining. And I also mm. do think it has some really interesting concepts and it has some redeeming qualities to it. And um, for sure, it leads really nicely into um, Rogue One and mm-hmm. all the other yeah, stuff. That's yeah, really absolutely. Cool. So kudos yeah, to Yeah, that. so. And, and and this is the thing too, right? So oh, the larger point of, I think, of what you're trying to get at with that too is like, it's entertaining versus is it critically, critically good? So like, there are some things that I find entertaining. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and this is kind of a future um, podcast topic that I want to get to that I just came up with recently, uh, Guilty Pleasures. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, what are your top Guilty Pleasures? Seven and guard. so <laughs> <laughs> there you go, right? One of mine is actually going to be in a, like a lot, and not a people, not a lot of people notice because it's like it's viewed as you know lowest common denominator. Like only a, a certain stereotypical kind of person likes this, and it's uh, one of my guilty pleasure pleasures like pro wrestling because I grew up like as a big pro wrestling fan when I was a kid, and um, there's a bunch of different companies that do different uh some some different things and anyway i follow online mostly and i'll like watch some youtube videos and stuff like that but it's uh it's one of those things where like critically speaking is it is it like is it all that good it's like kind of dumb but then on the other side it's like i find it entertaining 
So it's, yeah. I think that, so for me, like that's one of those few things where my critical brain doesn't tell me to, um, don't be an idiot and go watch something else. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, and I think, and for, and while Mike was talking about it, um, on the things to binge the last episode, we was talking about Tiger King and I'm like, I just can't with Tiger King. Like I saw the trailer. I'm like, this is just, it's not for me. It's just not for me. Cause I can't, I'm sure it's entertaining. It's not really for me like, either. Mystique loved it. She watched it, but it's not really for me. Um, so it's, it's one of those. So that's one I guess what I'm trying to say is like walking that, walking that line between, you know, is it critically good? Am I entertained? Like not everything has to be critically good for it to has be to be critically awesome and to, to for you to be for you to like it and for you to be entertained by it and i think sometimes critics and myself included even though i'm not professionally a critic uh get wrapped up in that a little bit too much and they're looking for something to knock the knock them out of the park an amazing performance or something that's really well lit or shot or whatever where when they should just you know i don't know like a lot of people gave Birds of Prey a bad rating, and I'm like, I was entertained. I liked it. I mean, was it the best movie I've ever seen? No, but it was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I think you have to be able to accept that there's a certain amount of risk that comes from just like enjoying stuff and trying stuff mm-hmm. out. Uh, you know, I another book that I just recently read that I really loved and i think the author um is super awesome and i would highly recommend if you if anybody out there if you like what i usually say um (laughs) this guy has a lot of ideas that are super smart and he's like already he's already quite famous in terms of business world i am curious if you're gonna know who it is chris but um Seth Godin wrote this book called Lynchpin in 2011, and I've had it for a few years, and I finally got around to reading it in the past couple months. Okay. And in the book, he describes he describes what is the role of a linchpin in terms of business and commerce and all that kind of stuff. But as okay. you know, I don't always just see things through rose-colored glasses where it's like, hey, this is business only. You can look at this in terms of life skills and art and all that. What's interesting about this book, though, is he actually describes the person who's a linchpin as an artist. And he okay. says that people have to be making art in order to be linchpins. And I've been saying this for years, not having read this book, which is very validating to me. <laughs> um, and the concept is that people who make art don't necessarily make art for the purposes of a system they make art to innovate and to Mm -hmm. think outside of the box they're passionate right they're people who have ideas and something they're after but they're also discerning so if you're someone who just has like passion and you're attached to a system you would be described as seth godin's calls a fundamentalist or a zealot which i think you can appreciate with yep, your you <laughs> worldviews, yes. Yes. Yep. 100%. So a linchpin is someone who can be discerning but also passionate. Whereas on the opposite end, you can have someone who is attached but super passive and they would be considered a whiner. That's someone who complains about things. <laughs> has who has zero motivation but doesn't want to move outside of what they know. And then right. uh, you get the bureaucrat who is wise and can discern things, but is also super passive. So again, bureaucrat, most politicians. So what's really interesting about that is, um, like I said, it's something that I think we've talked about a fair amount and something that I, I passionately believe in. I think people should be making art. I think that when you make stuff commercially versus from yourself, that's a distinction between fine art or real art and then just design or work that you know is being it's fitting a need or a request right so okay understanding that is super important in terms of being uh, an art critic because if you can understand when someone is is actually genuinely making art then you can be a good leader and you can help other people 
to like live in the, as stupid as it sounds, but live in their truth. Right. You can say, mm-hmm. you know, this, this is really good. This is what you're doing is really good or what you're interested in is really something to pursue and be after. I mean, not that we all need to be out there all the time being champions for the underprivileged or the, um, you know, the underdogs or whatever you want to call it. But I think absolutely everyone should to some extent be doing that and trying to protect um, culture. Right. So I, I'm going to probably have a lot to say about that book at some point on my own stuff, <laughs> yeah. but uh, I just thought it was really neat because it ties in really nicely with this topic. And um, it does. You know, yeah. It's, it's pretty good. So, you know, being critical, I don't think not trying to like wrap up the point already going too far into because we, <laughs> we still got a lot to say, but I, mm-hmm. I do think being critical is super important. Being able to discern things does make art better. It makes you be able to both be a better champion of art and to be someone who can actually genuinely make it. Because if you can't distinguish what has come from before, you're not going to be able to make something new. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it does. I was as, as you were as you were describing Lynchpin, I couldn't help but think of uh, Trent Reznor actually to kind of tie it back to a, uh, an earlier podcast episode I did because I feel yeah. like that's kind of uh, how he is, right? Like he makes art for art, uh, and he's less concerned with uh, commercial success. Yeah. Not that he doesn't make a good living off of it, because I'm I'm sure he does. But uh, I feel like that's kind of how he is. But um, yeah, no, I, I I absolutely think that 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 being a critic is is super important too, and it's something that like I take. Again, I'm not professionally a critic; it's just kind of a mindset. But like, it's something that I. I treat with great importance because I think there's like too much stuff that's I don't want to say lazy but like it's just the cookie cutter and it's not you know and we've talked about this before right where it's like it's not challenging um the status quo and it's it's just kind of sticking to what's safe so they can you know kind of make Mm -hmm. money and whether it be music or literature or movies or whatever it happens to be but um yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I, I like I, I. It's just you know sometimes it like I said it's just earlier. Uh, it's just sometimes it it just interferes with, <laughs> you know it does it it can ruin stuff for you if you if you let it and I think it it's you know it takes it takes a lot of work. Sorry, it takes a lot of work for you to to um, kind of fight sometimes fight back. Mm-hmm. And not not just being critical so it ru- ruins it for yourself, but being overly critical so that it ru- ruins it for other people. You know, can you? Because you, I, I know I've seen movies with some with people. You actually, I'm I'm sure I've done this with you, but I know I've done it with other people who have uh, pointed it out to me and got upset. Where it's just like, man, like that movie like was awful, and, or it was it was terrible. I hated. I give it. It you a very stupid. specific example too, if you'd like. I'm sure you can. Was, <laughs> but uh, and you know, some people are they don't care, and it just kind of rolls off their back, or they'll say why they liked it, and then conversation over, nobody cares. But some yeah. people are, and and I think it just kind of speaks to me. Sometimes I just gotta like think before I speak. But mm-hmm. uh, other people are more sensitive, and then when I say like that movie was utter garbage <laughs> or was stupid. It's like they sort of okay. Like, do you think I'm stupid for liking it? When I, no, I don't. It's just the the movie itself is. I just think it's bad, but I just got a bad way of saying it. Maybe that's more. But like, I, I'm I'm kind of ruining it for other people, and I'm I'm not trying to do it on purpose. But it's just it's that critical part that maybe. And I, like I said, I see it a lot on YouTube, mm-hmm. where people have a lot of because negativity is is what gets you views. So it's one of those things where it can be become its own kind of. Uh, negative um, uh, sort of uh, what's the kind of like what's the word I'm looking for I I, I don't know I can't I, toxic I can't me. yeah De- just like its own it, its own cycle its own like destructive circle it just keeps getting you know just, just kind of feeds itself yeah you know yeah, what I mean absolutely. like just a negative just its own negative cycle and negativity begets negativity and then before you know, before you know it, your your comment sections a cesspool, <laughs> which they yeah. usually are anyway. But I mean, you know what I mean. It's it's like you just have people screaming at each other, which isn't criticism. It's just people getting mad at each other for not liking what they like. 
So yeah, I mean, feel free to give me that example, by the way. I'm pretty sure I know which one you're talking about, but Ooh, do you, do you really, have you really, keen uh, to- I think it's, I, I, I think it's Venom. It is Venom. That was a good guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because I remember so I hated that movie <laughs> because so just a little context for the audience. Um, <laughs> it was my bachelor party and I had this brilliant idea that for my bachelor party, I was going to do a series of activities. So one of the activities we decided to do was go see a movie, which makes sense because mm-hmm. I like movies. Yep. And um it was my bachelor party, right? So, rightly so, I was three sheets to the wind. Okay, you were drunk. <laughs> you were totally <laughs> drunk. And I was having an awesome time during the whole movie. Uh, I was laughing along. Like, it was very... It, was, it is by no means a uh, monumental thing of film. It is, it is popcorn It's not a masterpiece. Flick. It is yeah. a popcorn flick through and through. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I was enjoying myself and laughing and uh, all that stuff. And then, you know, even, even just like the very end, I remember being like, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to have the cameo. They're going to do it. And I hadn't even <laughs> seen yeah, anything to say otherwise. And I was mm-hmm. right. And I was like, oh, it's carnage. Yeah. And like, I, I like looked over at you. I can't remember what I said, but I remember just like. I, I can't either, actually. But like, there's a couple moments in the movie where it was like, you were there and. um Graham was there and was it Steve? Uh, Steve. I'm trying to remember who else was there, but I, it might have just been the four of four us. Four of us? Yeah, I, had a big I think wedding. so. We had a big wedding party. There was like yeah, seven yeah, it was, guys. It was awesome. So. It was awesome. Um, but it was funny because like I just kept like going over it and like I, I, I think everybody knew I was going to do that because I do that, but like just I was just, I was making it fun, right? Mm-hmm. And then we get to the theater and yeah, sure enough, Chris is like, I hate it. <laughs> I hated that movie. <laughs> it was terrible. And proceeded to, to explain. I expl- proceeded to explain like how how in what ways I thought it was dumb, <laughs> and uh, and it was funny. I was tr- I was really trying not to di- like to go hard at it, but it's one of those things that sometimes I can't help myself. Now I'd like to think I've gotten better, but like I don't know because I haven't seen a lot of movies with with people that I that I don't like. Yeah, not people I don't like, but movies that I don't like with people. So it's hard to say, but yeah, I remember, I remember feeling bad about it after too, because it was your birth, it was it was your bachelor party, and you picked the movie, and I'm like, yeah, this movie's stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't I, like it at all, and now I I can't remember like most of it now because it it was like it's it's forgettable to me. But that I think it's a good example of not how I can like ruin it for you, but how you can be critical and maybe. Yeah, I don't, no, don't want to say I ruined. Me. Yeah, I don't say I don't want to say I ruined it for anybody who watched it, but like we, you and I have a rapport. Like, yeah, you know, I can get away with that crap with you sometimes. Yeah, I can but just like, say and you'll be like, whatever, I don't care. But but for sure, other, other guys people, who will go may not may not appreciate it, right? Because they're like, what this guy's just like doesn't or, or, like this, <laughs> or, or they don't like if somebody doesn't know me, or if I don't have a pre, or like if somebody's like just more and like sensitive is not the right word, but just like. They wear their heart in their sleeve more, let's say, because yeah. <clears throat> that's like a better way to say. I think that's like a bit of better way to say because sensitive implies that they're being overly sensitive when they're not. They're just that's how they feel. So it's like one of those things where I just, man, that was stupid. And they're like, well, it's like, well, I liked it, and I'm like, well, you know, okay. And then you know, you I give the impression that maybe I think they're stupid, which I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of I've, I've I've tried to go like I tried to be like like learn from that and be you know like what you like type yeah, deal and, sure. and try not to tear into something that uh, i don't like but it's yeah it it's i think it's i get it, it yeah it, it, it's exactly what it is to be like being critical and having that mindset is super challenging to not rip apart things that which you think are awful like or bad or stupid or like the dialogue is terrible or was shot awful or was cut like that movie that movie is cut to shit like it you can tell it's like rogue one's like that too actually it's cut to shit like it's Mm -hmm. so there's so much meddling like there's stuff in the trailer that wasn't in the film like they reshot 70 percent of it like it's cut like and you can tell when you're watching it and venom's the same way yeah it's like there's ideas there that were partially like brewed and then they decided to cut it or they put it somewhere else and it's like okay like i can follow it along structurally but it doesn't feel 
like it doesn't feel like art it feels it, like it feels out of place like it feels yeah exactly and it feels like stuff's out of place like you yeah. can there are some movies where you find out it was uh like a bunch of it was reshot and you're like oh i, I couldn't tell i can't remember a movie like that but i'm sure they exist but um a lot like uh, venom and rogue one are two films that like they're two of the ones that come to mind to me when i when i think about stuff that's like man they cut the crap out of that and you can just because of justice of, league do, yeah justice league as well well obviously because they're doing the snyder cut which yeah yeah i don't think it's going to be that much better honestly but well i yeah. guess we'll see but it's one of those you know studio interference or focus groups didn't like it or yeah who knows right there's a fantastic but, four is another one like that too, yeah right the josh trank one yeah they and i've said this before too it pieces. it's like you have to be you have to be saying something from one voice if you can't say it from a singular voice or mm-hmm. or having parts that work uh harmoniously together then mm-hmm. it isn't gonna feel like art it's gonna feel like work which again going over what some of the things we've already discussed that's that's what takes you out of it that's that's what makes it not feel like art i think that's a lot of the time where the art criticism can come from is mm-hmm. people yeah. wanting something to be amazing and life-changing and not experiencing that and so in the era of the the youtube star where we don't have the technical training i'm air quoting by the way technical <laughs> training um that people with with a art history background or any visual arts or design work because like that just like is embedded with with art criticism into it um that's yeah, even entitlement. Yeah, yeah, or even like gone as, gone are the days of, of like a like a Cisco and Ebert. Yeah, because even if you like, even if you didn't, those two are held up as like the, the standard, right? Yeah, the the standard bearers of of, of film critics, uh, for the most part. I mean, I guess I'm even if you agree or disagree, like they knew what they were doing. Whereas yeah. you know anybody with like a video camera and a microphone now can can do say that. that Justice League was awful. Or that they didn't like, or let's see, or they, or that they hate the Last Jedi because of its social mes- messages, or something like that, or like this. Yeah, it's it's kind of a it kind of can be a funnel for negativity and 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 toxicity, and, for sure. and especially with the whole um, what almost like an anti-feminist movement when it comes to film these but days. That's- that's where that you get that fundamentalist zealot kind of idea from. Right? Exactly. So it's someone who's passionate, but they're attached to a system and they can't see beyond what standards have been set. Um, so I can appreciate why that happens. Uh, yeah. For but sure. like you, I think I've grown a little bit um, disenfranchised. So now I don't care as much to immerse myself in criticism for the sake of immersing myself in it. I like to take people's opinions in who I feel support my own views or my own mm-hmm. ideology or are going to, and I, it sounds weird to say this because it's almost like I'm saying like, Oh, I'm friends with these people. In most cases, it's just people who I value their opinion. Right. Right. But I'm also really careful about what critics I let into my digital life now. And I think, sure. I think that's what one of the things I wanted to, uh, without having actually thought about it, but I think that was one of the things I did want to touch upon um, because I was going to make a point about how habitual criticism is super bad and toxic. Um, and I think we kind of did it in a roundabout way with talking yeah. about these types of reviewers, but you know, in, in, in the context that I was going to, I had brought it out of was related to uh romantic relationships but i don't think it's any different than any other kinds of relationships you don't want to be around toxic individuals or people who are negative like you said or just in a cycle of negativity it's it it just creates and permeates and um you know more of the same just more and more of the same and so you know when it comes down to uh Again, back to that idea of, the, of leadership. I think for me, it's like me being okay with saying, you know what? If this person's opinion doesn't 
add any value in my consumption of pop culture or art or whatever Mm -hmm. things I'm interested in. Like it's okay to not like let that in. It's okay to not listen to every single negative opinion out there. And I I know we've, we've talked about in, and again, movies are easy to go back to. We've talked about uh, angry Joe or uh, what's his name? Mm -hmm. Um, John's. I forget his first name. I can picture his head, his face in my head. The guy who always is wearing a bathrobe. Oh, Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not to look it up. I want to say it's like Jeremy Johns or something like that. That sounds, that sounds right. There's a number that I've seen on there. Uh, One is the critical drinker and I almost never click on his stuff because he's always, he, his stuff is almost always complaining like about perpetually complaining. Yeah. Yeah, perpetually complaining. A lot of it's about, like, he went in hard on Captain Marvel, for example. Mm-hmm. And because of what, El, like, um, uh, Brie Larson said, right? Yeah. But, uh, and yeah, there are a lot of problems with that movie, but they're more related to the structure of the film and less related to the fact that it's, you know, um, a strong, like, a, like, how, the, like, a, it's more it's more due to writing and the fact that it's an origin story than it being a female lead. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people miss the point on it, but I was going to say like not like uh not letting in certain you know critics or sometimes I will click on his stuff and sometimes I will click on other negativity and not because I want to sort of immerse myself in that world, but I do it for two reasons. And reason number 1 and the danger of, and this is like the danger of not, um, uh, you know, not taking into account like uh, some some critics that like you don't let them let them in. Basically, is that sometimes you get stuck in an echo chamber, right? Mm-hmm. And that you'll only be surrounded by people who not necessarily agree with you, but just share your worldview. So you might get kind of boxed in. Yeah, that's, that's reason number. Yeah, it can be right, and so you know, if you're just with the same sort of it's why I'm still friends with some people on Facebook and don't totally just write them off because let's I don't do it. Always let's do it right now. Let's just delete people off our Facebook. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause I don't, I don't necessarily it's like sometimes, sometimes. And if, if I can't, I can always ignore them if I want to, but I have to be willing to be able to move outside my uh, preconceived notions too. But the second reason why I do it is because uh, almost, I'm almost being a critic to their critic and kind of challenging some of their, uh, um, sort of their ideals and, you know, how they're, you know, kind of stuck in to what, you know, they can't see the forest or the trees. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the quote cliche or like, yeah. you know, women, 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 or like, you know, uh, minorities complain, but just make good movies. And it's just like, or as it, as I've seen a lot lately with the whole black, with black lives matter, all yeah. lives matter. And I'm like, no, okay. I realize I'm a white guy, but, um, all lives matter. You're, you're just, you're, you're glossing over the po- the point. Yes. Police violence happens to a lot of different people, but if you look at statistics, it predominantly happens to black men. And we see it again and again in the news and statistics and everything like that. And so this movement is to address that and we got to start somewhere, blah, blah, blah. And I, I can't believe I had to explain this one to this to yeah. people, but you do. So it's one of the, it's just an example I'm using to, of wow. course, all lives matter, but that's not the point. So it's just like, it's one of those things where you can try and challenge people and try and get them to maybe um, grow Within a little reason. bit. So those, those, like, yeah. Sure. Some people just, they, they never will. And that's just, cause that's just, that's just how they are. And some people will just, they can't, they either can't think for themselves or they, you know, just go for the easiest answer or there's so ingrained that they just never will change. And that's, that's fine. I mean, I can coexist with someone like that, but, um, yeah. some people, even though I don't always agree with them, some people can sometimes see my point of view, which is worthwhile. And again, I don't do this every time cause it's exhausting. But, um, it's, it's like I said, I, I, there's a, um, I think there's a, there's a good reason for you to not let that in. Cause you don't want it 
you know, you don't want to be surrounded by it and, you know, you don't have time in your life for it, but there's also like, uh, another side to it, I think. I guess that's, yeah. what, that's what my overall point. Yeah, you, you have to be optimistic, but you also have to have a certain level of, um, you have to have a certain level of, a, of, like, not disconnection, but ability to remove yourself from the, the outcome where it's always going to be a positive outcome. Because mm-hmm. that's where, like, I think creative people and artists and people who want to be artists they end up getting like heartbroken because they just always want the best and they can't ever see that life is a lot more chaotic and random and unstructured than that you know you're probably gonna laugh at this but i just i it's like it's like i've been like under a series of motivational trials recently i just watched (laughs) rocky balboa Oh, nice. That's a really good movie. The sixth movie after, you know, after watching the first few. Yeah. To the point where you're like, they're not as good. And then they make the Mm -hmm. sixth one and it kind of like, it brings itself back around like full circle back to the kind of original conception of Rocky, which is this guy who is passionate and excited and, is willing to stick through it. He doesn't necessarily win all the time, but he'll stick to his guns and he doesn't expect to win, but he he's in it for the long game. Mm-hmm. And he talks about like life and how life beats you down. But winning isn't about, you know, um, always winning. Winning is about being able to get back up, which is mm-hmm. a, a, about failure. Like you have to be able to fail and be able to accept failure. So, mm-hmm. and you know. yeah, like, and, uh, be able to take criticism and, uh, be open to the idea. You're not necessarily always going to be right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that to like totally dismiss whatever you just said about these political issues. Cause that's far be it nope. for me to do that. And I don't think that's my, that's definitely not my point. My point is, um, the people who are being dismissive and who aren't going to change that shouldn't be a deterrent for you to speaking out oh for yeah for sure i just all i'm saying is i don't think we should expect everybody to change all at once or even at all you said or at all like but for sure uh it's a cultural thing and if we keep working at it we can make it better and Mm -hmm. it's it's it comes down to everyone speaking up not just the people who are um being hurt like everyone has to do their part so oh yeah for sure yeah so yeah. that's all i was trying i don't know in a weird way i was trying to get to but <laughs> no it's I good it's, it's, for sure it's a valid point yeah so like yeah but like uh yeah i was going to i was going to say uh i was actually going to ask um you know, movies and TV shows and stuff like that. It's a little bit different. The criticism towards, I mean, I guess the director, the director does feel it, but there's usually like a, you know, cast and crew of hundreds of people working that stuff. So if a movie's bad, it's almost like there's a bunch of people and it kind of gets shouldered amongst them. And there's not, I mean, not always, sometimes like the writers, the director will take the heat for it, but there's usually a lot of people involved in it. Whereas somebody who paints like uh, a painting or sculpts a sculpture or does a collage or whatever, it's your output. And I guess how hard is that to take criticism about? And cause you were mentioning like some people get heartbroken and I would imagine too, it plays into like, like Aaron Sorkin talking about, he's like, uh, he's teaching this online course. There's this big like set of online courses. You take Tom Rell teaches guitar. Aaron Sorkin teaches writing. And he was, t- so in his preview, he was talking about, I have writer's block all the time. And I imagine his quest to be like, or his, um, not necessarily thinking about being critically acclaimed while he's doing it, but like, that's probably like, if he makes something bad, he's going to get raked over the coals for it might be in the back of his mind. So I guess like, how is that Yeah, from like, art, like an artistic, because you've made stuff, I assume that has gotten critics yeah. to look well, at. I can, use, How I is can it? use lots of examples. I think for me, what it comes down to when it, I know we have, I think we've talked about this before too, but I, I don't mind reiterating it. 
Um, mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to is accepting that you don't have to make art for everyone. And I think we've talked about that on a couple other podcasts. Podcasts. I think too. we have too. Yeah. It's okay to make stuff and not have it be accepted by everyone. I actually think that if it's not accepted by everyone, you're actually making art because mm. it means that you're challenging. If it's if everyone likes it, it's probably because it fits within a spectrum. Going back to that earlier point about art criticism, it fits within an established spectrum, and that makes mm. it something. And you don't want it to be something. You want it to be uh, its own thing. Mm. So I think... That's an interesting o- perspective. It's okay to make stuff that not everybody likes. And it's okay for it to not be perfect. You know, so what about if nobody likes it? <laughs> I, you know what? I think I think that's another thing that like we have to grapple with. But um, going back to this other book I've been reading about Dare to Lead, the lady in the author... Um, the lady who wrote the book, the author, she said that a lot of the time when we are struggling with issues that we can't ever seem to get over, mm-hmm. we run into this run into this habit, all of us do it, where we will keep trying to improve the thing that we are terrible at instead of really looking at the source of the issue, which is the fear mm-hmm. and what is causing us to be afraid. And if we can figure out what we're afraid of and accept and actually work through the fear, we don't necessarily have to work on the behavior. We just have to get to the source of the issue and work on that. So Hmm. as weird as that sounds, the issue might not be that no one likes your art. The issue might be, why do you care? Like, why is it important that people like your art? Okay. Are you looking for approval? And if you're looking for approval, how do you how do you work through that issue for yourself? Do you need to learn how to uh, look again? Cheesy as it sounds, you need to learn how to like love yourself, probably, because mm-hmm. we all are guilty of being lonely or isolated. And again, timely as it is with self isolation, <laughs> we're all guilty of it, right? Like we yep. we run into these issues where we don't know what's going on in the world and everyone wants to believe they know what's going on or, or, or I don't even know if that's true. I think everyone wants to know what's going on. They want for themselves to be in a position where they know what's going on and what to do and to know that they're being valuable and valued or whatever. But that I think is, I think that's the problem is like, yeah, you can make as much art as you want, but if you're making art, and you're looking for approval from other people because mm-hmm. you're afraid that no one likes you, then like that's a hole in you that you need to work through. Right. So I, I don't. I, maybe I took like a different direction than you were looking no, no, for. No, no, but... no. That's that's no. It's, that's uh, they're they're all really good points actually. Yeah, it's tough. <clears throat> like I, I I am I'm guilty of it probably more than um, a lot of people would realize. I. I, I know that I can come across as very put together and sure of myself, but I, I have fears too. And there's things I struggle with and, um, you know, talking about perfectionism as an example, mm-hmm. I, I read this really interesting I, concept in the book too, where it talks about perfectionism is actually a fear of approval. And we, it's actually a really bad behavior because when you're looking constantly looking for perfectionism, you're trying to fit this ideal and you can't grow. You can't grow past the ideal. You can't ever become better. So it's actually a really bad addictive cyclical pattern that's self-fulfilling because mm-hmm. you'll say I'm not enough and you can't ever be enough. So yep. it's crazy, but like it's I don't know how many people think about it in that way. And like I I am very much guilty of that. So I can appreciate the the challenge that comes from well can you can you say I'm enough? Like art yeah. criticism is is in some ways that's what it's saying. Are you like are you enough? That's how we at least how we interpret it sometimes is is this does this fit this criteria? Is this art what it says it's supposed to be? And 
like I said, if you're making really making art, are you really worried about that? I don't know. I don't think you have to be. Yeah, it's a really good point. I um, never thought about that. I mean, never <laughs> thought about it that way. I should say, making mm-hmm. art. But like, I'm I'm the same as you, man. I um, like I tell people all the time, it's like, yeah, I don't, you know, like most stuff rolls off my back, and I don't care. But like, yeah, I mean, um. And it seems like I'm fairly confident, but I totally struggle with self-worth too. So it's like, it's not, it's not just a you thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I think 100%. it's a, I think it's, it's far more common than, than we want to admit. Oh yeah. Like I, I, I hundred percent agree. So yeah, I mean, so yeah, uh, you know, so in terms of, 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 of criticism, it's like, trying to deal with it directed your way, but then also trying to sort of walk that fine line when you're in a critical mindset to not stomp all over someone or rake them over the coals or be like, be mean about it Mm -hmm. or um, insinuate that the things that they like are stupid (laughs) or that they're somehow stupid for liking them. Which again, which is so, which is why I, I mentioned, like I've mentioned Jenny Nicholson a couple of times. I like her stuff because she's not, she will critically go over something like her thoughts about Last Jedi or um, um, uh, Rise of Skywalker, but she's not mean about it, like at all. You know yes. what I mean? So like her stuff is, her stuff is, it's like, you know they're they're rushing from one they're they're rushing from here to here and I don't get this this part at all. It's like, but I like this part. This is one of the good things in this movie. But overall, I you know overall I feel like they just rushed it and they didn't really know what they're doing. There's no connective tissue between the three and blah blah blah. And it's like, yeah, they're all really good points. And she's not being mean about it. Like Kathleen Kennedy should be fired. And you're like, no man, that doesn't do anything. like she doesn't say stuff like that but there are other critics who do it's like you should fire kathleen kennedy she doesn't know what she's doing she's ruining star wars blah 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 and i'm like you might feel that way but that isn't criticism that's you being mad (laughs) yeah well it comes back to the whole idea of being passionate without necessarily having a good sense of discernment you're just this is the way star wars should be and this is what i expect and this is not star wars so uh, therefore I'm going to get angry about it. Yeah, exactly. That only goes, that can only take you so far. I mean, I'm sure there are people who live their whole lives that way, but I don't think I've experienced anybody like that. Who's ever genuinely um, been happy. (laughs) So yeah, if if you don't want to be a happy person, then yeah, you can be, you can rip things to shreds all the time. Yep. I agree. (laughs) Um, I had one more thought I wanted to bring up just cause also I feel like we're going on a, a bit of a, um, a heavier tread <laughs> this last <laughs> little bit. Okay. I, I wanted to just mention, um, sometimes the things that we measure success in art, whether it's, um, the more, you know, formal art of music and film, I mean, certain films, and you know painting and sculpture and things like that what we described i i i I think you know this but i love to talk about other things like board games as being art because i think that Mm -hmm. it very much serves that role uh so i wanted to use that as an example a little bit because i think sometimes we get people it's one of my mission goals i guess is to get people to to move away from (laughs) the idea that everything that is art can only be fit into like a couple buckets so yep. talking about board games, I think there are lots of examples of what makes or breaks a board game. And interestingly enough, uh, for those of us who are hobbyist gamers, we are familiar with a website called boardgamegeek.com. And it kind of is a repository for all things board games, right? Mm-hmm. What's interesting about the website, and I'm only saying that I know you know this, but the only reason I'm saying this is for people who don't know. Um, how they keep track of the board games is through a bunch of data points. They'll rank games based on number of votes. They'll rank games based on uh, popularity. They'll give it, um, you know, parameters like 
what theme it fits under, what uh, average rating it has, how many players it has, how long it's the game weird. generally takes, things like that, right? Um, <laughs> those are all really great ways to distinguish things like board games from each other. But that doesn't necessarily make one game better than another. We were having a conversation before this star started where we talked about like, oh, one of the most popular board games in the world right now is Terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that it's a bad game, but I know that you don't necessarily think it's a good game. That's okay. I think people need to remember that we play games because we enjoy them and we enjoy the outcomes that come from playing those games. I would mm-hmm. never want to subject someone to playing a game that they don't like. And if you don't know that you don't like it, that's a different story. But once I know you don't like something, I don't want to put you through that. I would hope. Yeah, hundred percent. I would hope that you wouldn't want to put me through that. Not you yep, and I, I, but people yeah. in general, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something else we should like keep in mind. Is like the role of the critic is to create uh, connections between people too. It's not just about saying this is what's this and this is what's that it's about being able to identify where things fit together so i think if we take that away from this and say like we can be critics and guide people towards good things which we've talked Mm -hmm. about on other videos uh cemeteries before yes like that's super empowering to people how do you how do you take something to someone and make them feel like you've understood them that's what is great about board games and board game culture is when we get together as a group and we find mm-hmm. something that we can all enjoy together. And I know there's a but, whole argument to be made about solo gaming too, but that's not really where I was going <laughs> with that. Point. Not, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't going to say that, but like uh, what I was actually going to say is uh, that, and there's a million YouTube uh, channels dedicated to board game reviews these days. The best ones though, will talk about, um, they will either state the kind of games they like first before they review something mm-hmm. and why they did or didn't like it. Uh, or um, they will say, uh, if you like lots of player interaction, you will like this game or won't like this game. Cause yeah. it, this is, the, or if you don't like take that, which is for non-board game people like, um, uh, I just built something. You can play a card that uh, undid everything I just did, uh, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, if if you don't like that kind of things, then this isn't the game for you, or etc. The better reviewers will do that, and I'd like to see that a little bit more in other areas. I think board. It's good that you brought it up actually, because board gaming is one of the hobbies that I find has some of the best reviewers, and none of them are are, are trained in it at all, but they're more i don't know if open mind is the right word but more willing to say it's like hey here's like let me preface by saying here are my tastes or um here's some of the stuff it does if you don't like this then this isn't probably isn't for you but if you do i think you should check it out that type of deal a lot of them do that really well i think and this is just my theory but i think the reason why that happens is because it's even harder to subject yourself to every board game out there. Oh God. Yeah. There's thousands released every year. So how would you ever become the de facto expert on board games? You'd have to play. You just couldn't. You have to play board games every day, all day to Mm -hmm. be able to, and even then you wouldn't, and even then you wouldn't. So I think that's why it happens more often than that hobby. Well, frick, why can't that happen in movies? Like, Oh, I know. Right. And like, People just like stick it in. It's like, oh, you know, I, I want to only How does that knife feel in your gut? Let me twist it around a little bit and then you can tell me again. I know. Anyway, I just, it was something I was thinking about. I just, yeah, I think, no, it's good. I think that's why that happens. That's my, I mean, I could be completely wrong, but that's. I, know, I, th- I think you're probably, I think you're probably onto something there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was so, that was uh, all I wanted to say. Because yeah. if you have other thoughts, I'm I'm welcome to to explore more no, things. But I've, I know I've I was just done. actually about to wrap up because <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, we're in the same wavelength. There you go. Because I think we've uh, I think we've covered it all. Hey, yeah. There's there's I mean it's tough. Art criticism is a is a it's a weird thing, and 
it it's, is yeah it's 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 really cool that we've gotten to a point in our uh i want to say world history i was going to say society but i don't know if that's <laughs> the right way to say it in in like in the, the history of humanity that criticism has broadened its reach further than certain things because mm-hmm. it's almost like these critics in other fields can teach other critics how to be better yeah. people yeah totally i i think in i think really in summary it's like try to go into things with an open mind if you have a critical mind um I'm, i try to do that more and uh you know and and honestly like even if you if you have a critical mind like try not to be a dick about it <laughs> and again that's what i i as i said I've, i struggle with that too but you know try to take it other people's tastes into account and, and try not to be so harsh. so negative about it so harsh yeah exactly so yeah i think so i think that's something good to go out on awesome yeah so with all that yeah i know right <laughs> so with all that said thanks for joining us this week please like comment subscribe if you're able Rate the podcast wherever you listen, or if there's something you really want to talk about, email me at conferculture at gmail.com. That's C-O-N-F-E-R-C-U-L-T-U-R-E at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Tim. And this has been Confer Culture. Confer Culture.